So evolution has no plan. That means a planner, a design. That means a designer. Or there's no laws. That means a lawgiver. So there's none of those things. So we're just the highest form of animal on the top of the evolutionary ladder. And so therefore, if we change where we came from, there is no God. Man becomes God. If man becomes God, then we don't need the Bible because that's for the people who believe in God. So now the man must develop something like the humanist manifesto that will explain what his religion is. And that has been done. And it has been taught in our schools, in our colleges, our universities, until majority of the people in this country, even Christians, live their lives according to the humanist manifesto. And their logic comes from it. It just makes humanistic sense. And so therefore they go by that. Well, if you're going to change that, then you don't need the Constitution because the Constitution was based upon the rights of a man and his responsibility to each other and to God. We were endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. That didn't come from man. It didn't come from government. It came from God. So what we have today is people that no longer believe that. So now all you have to do is go by the majority will of the people. Well, what do the people want? And then when you have a majority, there's no protection for the minority. Whatever the 51% decides, the 49% has to go along with that. You say, well, that's all the way it is. No, it's not. The true way is 75% can't change the rights for the 25%. Because, you see, rights didn't come from government, and government has no authority to take away anybody's rights God gave us those rights. And man and government is wrong when they try to supplant God and take control. And that's why even in the Bible it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith you have in Christ, and be not entangled, again, with a yoke of bondage. America is going to lose its freedom because it won't stand for freedom. It won't stand for what's right. Now it's just be tolerant of everything until we finally go to sleep and we're going to wake up one day with no freedoms left whatsoever. And I see it coming. Let me read this in. But never once did the Supreme Court declare abortion itself to be a constitutional right. The Supreme Court says, We need not resolve the difficult question of when life begins. The judiciary at this point in the development of man's knowledge is not in a position to speculate as to the answer. The Supreme Court did not believe they were sufficient to determine when life begins. So they passed the book back to Congress. And so now we have it where if Congress would pass a law simply like life at conception. Now we have a little bit more knowledge and we believe and we believe a lot of scientists believe that life begins at conception. And if it does, if we have them where they pass a law that life begins at conception because the Supreme Court could not rule on when life begins, that was not what they believed they were capable or should decide. Therefore, Congress should make a law. Then they can rule against the law once it's presented to the Supreme Court. So if they passed a law saying that life begins at conception, all of abortion will automatically be wrong and murder. Do you understand what I'm saying? The fact is, 
and this is what is the 14th Amendment of our Constitution. The High Court, they made this key admission. If this suggestion of personhood is established, the appellate's case, Roe versus Wade, who sought an abortion, of course collapses for the fetus right to life is then guaranteed specifically by the 14th Amendment. And the 14th Amendment states this, Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. Then all the laws have to protect that unborn child in a mother's womb. It becomes totally now unconstitutional. But see, that's why they use a different word. That doesn't mean murder because it's a description of a fetus or a blob, a blob. And that's why it needs to be changed. So Congress would have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provision of that article. So do I believe that's what should be done? Yes, I most certainly do. Let me read this to you. Is it over? Is it over? I mean, is it over? Or is it possible... As Abraham says, is there not yet, you know, ten? What about if there's ten righteous people? There is no question that the forces of globalism and socialism have pretty much had their way over the past few decades. And with very few exceptions, we don't have a lot of allies in Washington, D.C. And in most state capitals. For that matter, we don't have a lot of allies on Wall Street or in most classrooms. But that doesn't mean that it's over, not by a long shot. Now, the man that wrote this article that I'm reading to you is a man by the name of Chuck Bowen. I've been familiar with him for years. Freedom did not have a majority in 1775 and 1776. I doubt that one could find any time in history when the proponents of liberty were ever in a majority. Sam Adams may have said it best when he said, It does not take a majority to prevail, but rather an irate, tireless minority keen on setting brush fires of freedom in the minds of men. Did you know that that's how they, pretty much the liberals, the hippies of the past, have just about taken over our country? They just kept hollering and yelling and screaming and then get the ACLU. Can one imagine how history would have been changed had the Church of Lexington, Massachusetts, and all the churches of colonial America for that matter, been occupied with the kind of ministers we have today. I can tell you this, there would have been no Lexington Green, Concord Bridge, nor Bunker Hill, no Valley Ford, no Declaration of Independence, no U.S. Constitution, and no United States of America. And that is an absolute fact. The erroneous interpretation of Romans 13, so prevalent among pastors and churches today, would have instructed the colonists that it would be a sin against God to rebel against King George. Pastors would have taught their congregation to be good little slaves to the crown. Without a doubt, had colonial America had the kind of ministers we have today, we would still be a subjected colony of Great Britain to this very hour. And I agree with that. Because everybody wants peace. Nobody wants trouble. So don't rock the boat. Don't start trouble. Well... So prominent was the role that Presbyterian pastors played in the American Revolution that as news of the rebellion spread throughout England, Horace Walpole told his fellow members of the British Parliament 
There is no use crying about it. Cousin America, who are cousins, Cousin America has run off with a Presbyterian parson. And that is the end of it. And Presbyterian ministers were not the only ones to rally the church for the cause of independence. So many Baptist preachers participated in America's war for independence that at the conclusion of the war, President George Washington wrote a personal letter to the Baptist people saying, I recollect with satisfaction that the religious societies of which you are a member have been, throughout America, uniformly and almost unanimously, the firm friends to civil liberty and the preserving promoters of our glorious revolution. In other words, it hadn't have been for the pastors in the churches in the revolution, there wouldn't have been one. They caused it. It was preachers back in the 1700s. And we don't have leaders like we used to have because everybody's afraid of what it might cost them. And if you take a strong stand, then there's people in the churches that are afraid of, you know, what they may have to go through. Because you see, you, you get labeled with whatever the preachers like. If everybody likes me, then they'll like you. But if they don't like me, they're not going to like you. Just thought I'd tell you that. I know you didn't believe that. But it was ministers from all of the Christian denominations who sounded the clarion call for freedom from their pulpits. Writing in the mid-1800s, noted attorney and historian John Wingate Thornton said, To the pulpit, the Puritan pulpit, we owe the moral force which won our independence. The Patriot pulpit is what colonial America had that modern America doesn't have. We lack the moral force of that patriot pulpit. For the most part, America's pastors today are shy, sheepish servants of the states. For the American people to once again muster the courage and conviction to reclaim their liberties require a revival of the patriot pulpit. As long as Christian people stay seated in the padded pews of these passive pulpits, our nation will continue to plummet into the pit. But this is where the good news begins. Is it all over? No, too many freedom lovers are still breathing, so it's not, it's not over. There's a thing I got from Bob McCurry. I've been with him in a lot of meetings. It started back in 1982 when they were trying to close down Everett Sullivan up there in Nebraska. Over a thousand pastors went up there from all over America. And they were trying to close their school down. They put seven fathers in jail because they had their kids in a Christian school. And so the public school says, we want those kids in there. And those teachers in your school are not qualified. Did it cause trouble? Because all the preachers knew if they can do this to this church and this school, they can do it to any church. They can do it to mine in Colorado. And then they went after another one up there in, in Galesthorpe. He was up there in uh, Nebraska. So all preachers, Lester Roloff was up there. I mean, they came from everywhere. And they went up there. I've got videos on all that stuff. I've got videos of them state troopers going into a church and picking up the people and dragging them out of the church. You say, that can never happen in America. It was the first padlocked church in American history. And um, I remember us walking around the jail. We walked around the jail. My brother, little man, came up there with me and along with about 50 other ones late at night, it was freezing cold. And we walked around the jail because they had seven fathers in that jail. And the sheriff's name was Sheriff Tesh. I thought, Tesh in the flesh. Tesh in the flesh. But anyway, we walked around it and we sung songs and 
Then they came out there after that and they padlocked the church. They put padlocked it. And so this one guy, a Marine, he was an evangelist later, and so he was didn't have any legs, he was in a wheelchair. And so Tim Lee came up there and he walked up walk up there. They rolled him up there to the door and he started sawing on that lock. And he says I don't have the right to go into the White House and they don't have a right to lock the church house. And it was very moving. And you're talking about some preachers that got up there and they prayed. And eventually they won the case because God's people contended, confronted. So that isn't right. And over a thousand preachers to show up a little place like that. And there were some preachers that didn't show up. Because they didn't want their name associated with anything like that. But why is our nation so morally corrupt? There's a verse I want you to look at. Well, let me just read it to you. Just, just listen to me. Because it's a, a small verse, but I want you to... It says in Hosea chapter 8 and verse 7, For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap what? What shall they reap? The whirlwind. In other words, you sow the wind. In other words, what you sow, you're going to reap. America is going to reap the consequences of their sin. God is going to judge America. Unless we can get America to turn to the Lord. That would take a revival. And a revival usually takes place among God's people. And it starts, first of all, in the pulpit with the preachers. But majority of the preachers today don't take a stand because they're afraid to. Let me mention this to you. America's sowing to the wind began when today's people opted for a humanly inspired, we the people, law document in preference to the Holy Spirit inspired and infallible. The law of the Lord is perfect. Word of God. When you get away from the Bible, all you see that constitution is just a piece of paper that means nothing and the will of the people can change it because you no longer believe in the inalienable rights by the Creator that's given to us and our individual responsibilities. And we believe that the home is made up of the husband and the wife and the children. That's the way God designed it. There's an awful lot of people who are now in, who are intolerant of Christians' views. It's okay to believe everything but the Christian view. If you believe the Christian view, you are in the minority. You are the one that's wrong. You are bigoted, you're racist, you name it, and that's you. And it's just the opposite. You see, they call good bad and bad good. And they legislate unrighteous laws by which even God's people have to suffer consequences. And it's devastating. I don't like it. But anyway, I got this here in the, the mail. And after I read it, I thought, well, this is something we could do. And I'll just read it to you. See, it is a petition to reverse Roe versus Wade based upon this principle that life begins at conception. If it does, and if enough people put enough pressure, they could pass this. I don't believe that unless we do something, even God's people are exempt. 
You see, we can say something. We don't like it. But now, this is just something that I thought we could do. So all of this, I've got them stapled together. Did I staple them? And that they're in the back because I didn't just want to give everybody one because you may not want one. and Little kids don't need it. But this is what it says. One will go to John Boehner, Mitch McConnell, Kathy Castor, Bill Nelson, and Marco Rubio to try to get something accomplished. And what it simply says is, whereas because of Roe versus Wade, more than 56 million unborn children have died through abortion, and whereas in Roe versus Wade, the U.S. Supreme Court declared it could not resolve the difficult question of when life begins. And on the basis of this unresolved question declares a new right to abortion based on the right of privacy. And whereas the 14th Amendment to the Constitution states, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, and property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. And whereas in Roe, the Supreme Court admitted, if personhood for the unborn is established, the appellate's case, of course, collapses for the fetus right to life is then guaranteed specifically by the 14th Amendment, Roe versus Wade. Now, these are awesome statements. Whereas science is clear that human life begins at conception when a new human being is formed. And whereas the American people oppose abortion on demand and want innocent human life to be protected, especially when it's most defenseless. And whereas it becomes or belongs to Congress to resolve the question the Supreme Court said it cannot resolve. And whereas a Life at Conception Act, by declaring that unborn children are persons legally entitled to constitutional protection, will rescue millions of unborn children from dying by abortion on demand. Therefore, I urge you to co-sponsor and to do everything in your power as House Speaker to win ultimate passage of a Life at Conception Act in the United States House of Representatives. And all you do is sign your name, city, and state. And if you can do that much, there will be five of them. They go to five different people. And when you get them through, bring them to the office, and I'll have Jesse mail them to the address that I have. Was I clear? Could you understand what I'm saying? I hope that you believe what I'm saying. I think we ought to do what we can do. All right? We want the country free so we can keep giving the gospel. I do not want to get sidetracked with all the causes in life. But you know, if we don't protect some of these things, we won't have a church. We won't do what we are been free to do. And then after it's all over with and all freedom is lost, we'll wonder, well, why didn't somebody do something? Why don't we do something? I think we ought to try to do it. At least we can do this much. But what if every church in America did what we're talking about tonight and the people fill out something and we send that in? At least we're on record of trying to do what we can do. This is you and me. Okay, somebody's listening by Internet. I don't want to take it for granted. Everybody's always heard. But I want you to know this hand represents you and me. This wallet represents sin. We are all sinners. Everybody does something wrong. Even little kids do things wrong sometimes. But God says that He loves us, but He hates our sin. And for us to pay for that is eternal separation from God in hell. And God wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, you have to be perfect as righteous as God, and no one's perfect. No one's righteous. We have all sinned and come short of God's perfection. So God says you can't save yourself. It's not by your works. Giving money doesn't pay for sin. Going to church doesn't pay for sin. 
Living a good life doesn't pay for the bad you've already done. So you need a Savior. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord, God in the flesh. He came into the world because He loves us. But He hates our sin. Our sin separates us from Him. And I can never be with Him. He can never be with me. And that's why I love that little statement. That Jesus Christ loved me so much He was willing to die just to give me the chance. Because there was no guarantee that I'd have to believe. But just to give me the chance to go to heaven. Because there was, outside of doing it, there is no chance. There's no option. You don't have an option. You can't go. So Christ died to pay for my sins. Came back from the dead and said, if I believe He did it for me, He would give me eternal life as a gift. And I go to heaven for what Jesus Christ did for me. Let's pray, shall we? With the head bowed, eyes closed, and no one looking around. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, if you're watching by internet, I want you to know more than anything else in the world that I want freedom so that I can keep telling the good news. I want you to know that God loves you and paid for your sins. Would you trust Him as your Savior? And if you'll trust Him right now, God said He will save you right now, give you right now eternal life, and you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. The best news in all the world. With heads bowed, eyes closed, anywhere all, just slip it up very quickly and say, yes, that made sense to me. I will trust Christ tonight as my Savior. Anyone at all. Our Father, we thank you for this time together. We do ask, Father, your blessings upon our country as long as we do the things that are right. I guess we need to pray for mercy because you have every right to judge this whole nation. And Father, for the people in Congress, in the White House, we pray, Lord, for our leaders. We want them to do right. We want to live a quiet and peaceful life. We want the freedoms that we enjoy and the liberties. And Father, when we think about all the children, all these babies that have been murdered, that Father, they would be alive today. They could know you and do something for you. So much was taken away from them. And we pray, Father, also for all the mothers that have given up their children for one reason or another. That Father, you would, I know they have to have sometimes a, a broken heart. There has to be a certain amount of guilt there. But we pray, Lord, somehow that somebody would reach them with the gospel and let them know you still love them. They can still have eternal life and go to heaven. And Father, we commit these things to you. Help us to be wise in the days in which we live. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.